Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dustin, you ready for some football conversation? I always am, and uh, I think it's another good one that piggybacks off of last week. Like, I don't know what feedback you got on last week when we talked about Big Ten scheduling uh, for an entire show, which somebody uh, somebody emailed beforehand and said, hey, that'd be a great idea. Little do you know that we were actually talking about doing that. But this week, we're talking about just the bigger picture of the college football playoff and expansion and what that's going to look like and, and all that. So we'll spend a good bit of time on that, which I'm definitely excited to talk about. I did get some positive feedback and some of it I will mention to you off the air. So that's the intrigue just oh, for you. The, <laughs> with a lot of curse words and stuff in it. I love it. <laughs> uh, let's move on. But, but before we get to football, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention basketball that happened yesterday, Dusty. This Penn State team, and if you know me, you know I love college hoops. And I keep waiting and waiting for this Penn State team to get over the hump. And it's like this team is cursed. They get good enough to make the tournament, and a once-in-a-century event happens with COVID, right? Yeah. And then this year's team... They are good enough to be a tournament team, but every time they seem to get close, something happens like the Rutgers game where they blow a huge lead. But even with that, even when we all give up on them, it ends up they've won five out of their last six. And Sunday's game against Maryland, a must-have win. They played awful in the first half. But they never gave up. They keep drawing me back in. Dustin, I have a weak heart. I should not have to put up with this. And 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 here they keep doing it again and again. I think that's it's just an interesting point because even though it's a different coaching staff with Micah Shrewsbury, you're still kind of seeing like the same old lions or you want to see the same old lions and some of these tendencies of being good, but not good enough and letting things slip away in sort of unique fashion that has continued a bit, but you're also looking for breadcrumbs to suggest that this basketball team is transcending that it's getting past that it's ditching that reputation. And I think Sunday's win over Maryland and you can go into sort of the details of it is one of those events where you can say, okay, maybe it's not the same old Penn state. Maybe they're they're doing things differently. Maybe they're ditching that reputation. Well, I think the difference is, and first of all, to hit your point about you know, the same old Penn State Nittany Lions, they have those moments in a game where they'll go three, four, five, eight minutes, can't find a bucket, can't buy a bucket, and oftentimes it's they they're not getting good shots, and then just like that, they turn it on. And they have so many guys who could hit threes and fill it up that, you know what, I'm going to say this right now, though, and I'm hopeful that they get into the tournament now. If I don't think I would want to face this team in the tournament. Yeah. I feel like they could lose to anybody, but they could beat almost anybody also. That's a dangerous team in the tournament because they they're going to play with nothing to lose. If they if they get hot for a 10-minute stretch, they can beat anybody. And then you're wondering, you know, as as they miss 
17 out of 18 shots for a 10 minute stretch. Like, where is everybody? It's just the nature of the beast, the way that this team is set up. I'm not sure that this is the way Micah Shrewsbury wants his team set up in the future, but that's what he's got, what he was able to cobble together on, on kind of a tight turnaround. I think in the future you'll see shooters and you'll see him wanting shooters, but maybe he's able to integrate some other pieces in there. So they're not quite as live or die by that. But I will give this team credit for not giving up. It would have been very easy after that Rutgers loss. That was so discouraging for it to affect them in the next couple games. It did not. And even this game alone, watching this with Maryland early on, they got so far behind, it would have been easy for them to pack it up. And they never did. They kept fighting. A lot of credit to them. A lot of credit to the coach exciting team to watch and fingers crossed that I'll be able to watch my basketball team in the tournament this year, Dusty. So I hope turn- so. E- even if it's just to deliver a much more prolific heartbreak <laughs> in, in that tour in the tournament, even if that's the only thing that happens, let's keep our fingers crossed that that doesn't happen. But it, even if it does, at least they've gotten over that tournament hump that they've gotten there. And it seems like a good group of guys on the team Again, that work ethic that they don't give up, that they don't let uh, you know a deficit get them down. They keep working, and and today or Sunday, it it worked out for them. You need to have Jeff Brown on and say what needs to happen for this Penn State team to win a national title, and he'll say <laughs> they don't even have to play that great. You know, with the shooters that they have, they can hang with anybody. They can beat anybody. They've shown that. You need to have Jeff Brown on now and and get some of that optimism on the Keystone Kickoff Show. That is a great suggestion. All right, let's go talk some football, <laughs> Dusty. Um, we got some news this week. Another uh, commitment. Kenneth Wosley from Imhotep, cornerback. I'll tell you what I like about this. Just on the surface, it's a Pennsylvania kid. It's a Philadelphia kid. It's an Imhotep kid, okay? All very important. Yeah, and and they're going in the right direction on all of those fronts. And I think Imhotep kids... Uh, are are pretty advanced when it comes to technique. There, it's a really good program, and I think it shows with Kenneth Kenneth Wosley, who you know he's five eleven, one seventy, something like that. Uh, not the biggest corner in the world. I don't think he's the fastest corner in the in the world. I don't I don't know what he tests at, but he just knows how to play the position. Like his his game highlights show press zone making good reads reacting quickly uh good technique when the ball's in the air good ball skills i mean it's a really nice combination and i feel like he's somebody that will need to improve his feet a little bit but if if there's one physical thing um that needs to be fixed when a guy gets on campus i feel pretty confident that penn state strength and conditioning staff will target that area and improve that area so i don't think that that's much of a concern i think this is a really nice player a nice addition to the staff uh, to the um 24 class and i think he's going to be a guy who because he's so polished already and because he's got another season of high school football left I could see him being in that mix, depending on how depleted cornerback depth gets. I could see him being in that mix, you know, to be a nickel guy, uh, start at the nickel, move outside, start outside, move to the nickel. I think he's going to give the, the the staff some options. Uh, and he is a nice player who just seems to get it, has, has the IQ for the position already. And obviously that's only going to get better over time. Uh, commitment, what, number three in the class. And I think they're all four stars at this point. So they're off and running. 
it is another good get. And as I said, the fact that it's Philly, it's in Pennsylvania, it's from a school, it's very important for Penn State to have inroads in. Uh, let's take a quick look also at the combine. I got a note from someone who talked in terms of, gee, this wasn't the best uh, combine from Penn State. And I get that. It may be true, but these nothing against these players that were going there, but these weren't the combine superstars going in. You know, Jair Brown, we are all huge fans of his, but I don't think anyone expected him to be running a sub 4440. Yeah. And 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 that's never really been his his game. Uh he's never been that physical dynamo, you know, and that's one area where Jaquan Brisker kind of stepped ahead of him a little bit. And Jaquan Brisker ended up being a second round pick. I'm not sure Jair Brown's going to be that guy, but I think his game film and some of the stuff that he did uh, out at the combine are going to make the teams that like him really like him. And you're going to have teams who are going to say, Hey, he's too slow or whatever. You might even have in this day and age teams that, that see his skill set and can view him as a weapon that can play close to the line of scrimmage or like a hybrid linebacker safety role. That's becoming more and more of a thing. Uh, he's a little on the light side for that now, but who knows? I mean, I think somebody with imagination and I think they always say that it just takes one team to love. Yes. Some team is going to love Jair Brown. His game film is outstanding and he showed um, in, in some of the drill work at the combine, how he atones for that lack of speed, you know, that lack of elite speed. I don't think his, his speed is killer or anything, but he's such a good, versatile athlete and he just knows the game. And I think the one thing that, you know, that really stands out that showed up at the combine to some extent too, is that he just doesn't take a play off at all. He goes through the whistle every single time he gives maximum effort every single time. And it's like that, that blue collar that you develop by not getting offers out of high school and having to go the junior college route and then uh, appreciating your opportunities that much more. He's a guy who's going to keep appreciating those opportunities and that's going to be an asset for a team. I know it's like all, Maybe this is cliche type stuff that when you speak of somebody who's not an elite athlete, but Jair Brown's an elite football player. And I think somebody's going to see that and he's going to get a, a good shot somewhere. You took the words out of my mouth, Dusty. That's what I was going to use that tired phrase. He's a football player. And I hate <laughs> that expression. I hate it, but I'm going to use it. It's true. <laughs> on this one. Jair Brown, he's a guy on the field. He, he knows what he's doing. He anticipates well. He plays at. How about this for another cliche? He plays at all three levels, Dusty. Oh, yeah. He can rush the quarterback. He can play in the box. He's a ball hawk. We see him getting his interceptions. I think somebody is going to get Jair Brown in a later round and be very, very happy about him. That That's, that's my NFL prediction, Dusty. And you know what? I mean, at the very, very least, they're going to get a guy who's going to appreciate playing on special teams. And that's really going to be his role early in his career, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, before he transitions. And he's going he's gonna to play special teams like it's the last play of his life. And I think he's going to climb a depth chart from there. Joey Porter Jr. is a guy that we all look at as a high first round pick or mid round first round pick. What did he do at the combine to change your mind on any of that? Or did he? I, I, and this is a, a total compliment. I don't think he changed anybody's mind. Uh, I think he he, he ran a, a pretty good time. I think four four six. Uh, he put up a pretty good number in most of those departments. His arms were like eighty inches, so his wingspan is ridiculous. And I think teams see that he moves plenty fine. Like he he's fi just fine for that height. 
uh, and that uh, arm length gives him a little bit of margin for error. When the ball's in the air, he can close, and he can he doesn't have to close as hard because he he's got that reach. So I think everybody uh, who liked him is going to keep liking him. His draft stock didn't fall much. He's still probably going to be the first corner off the board. Anything else hit you from the combine? Uh, Zach Kuntz stands out. I mean, he he delivered one of the great. Uh, tight end combine performances ever the way that he ran with a 40 and a half inch vertical. I saw he, he was um, really, really far above average in every testing area. So uh, embarrassment of riches at that tight end position that he left and it didn't even hurt Penn state. That that's a good point. All right, Dusty, that is going to be it for quarter. Number one. Sorry. I did that little diversion to basketball, but that, that team deserves some recognition. So we gave them a few minutes. Maybe we'll get Jeff Brown, our buddy, on to talk some more about it. That's it for quarter number one. Stick around. Lots more to go, starting with quarter number two. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. It's quarter number two of our show. Brought to you by our good friends at 409tailgateclub.com. The place to go when you're looking for your barbecue sauces, the barbecue rubs, the Bloody Mary mix. They are all fantastic. I know because I've used all of them, Dusty. Every single one. So I'm advocating for it because I use it all the time. In fact, I made you know, you know what that sounds like rub over the weekend. You know what that you know your pitch what? sounds like? You know, I'm not just the president of Hair Club for what Men. What does it sound like? I'm not just the president of Hair Club for Men. I'm also a client. That's true. I am <laughs> not just a spokesperson for 409tailgateclub.com. I use it all the time. And if you'd see me in profile, Dusty, you would say, aha, there's the evidence. 
<laughs> and you're not you're um, not you're not part of the hair club for men either. That as no, long as we're talking about profiles. Also, if you see me, so. <laughs> me neither. We're we're in the hairless club for men. Well, as they say, though, we've got the look for radio, though, don't we? Oh, we do. We're adorable for radio. <laughs> Let's move on. I'm sure people didn't tune in to hear about that, Dusty. Let's talk about one of my favorite times of year is when they come out with the weight changes for the football players. And we got that information. There's always some interesting tidbits here, aren't there? There is. And, and um, I think, and I know that all schools kind of pad heights and they, they kind of manipulate weights and they try to make guys look a little bigger than they are, whatever. Um, but I actually, in this case, applaud Penn State's honesty and the frequency with which they update this stuff. They show people what's going on. And I, I don't think they're they're trying to hide from you know progress that's being made. Uh, and sometimes there's breadcrumbs that suggest a position change. And I think one of these that we'll probably discuss is interesting on, on that front. Um, and then other times I think you see guys who are on a particular journey and for some reason um, gain a lot of weight in the wintertime when they're really going strength intensive and diet intensive. And then when they get back to football activities, they come back down a bit. So some of these, it's like, don't get too carried away, but some of them are really interesting and they, and they speak to what Penn state's coaching staff is trying to do with these guys uh, to make them better. I don't know if this is the one you were talking about for position changes, but Mega Barnwell has gone from 250 to 269. Now, I don't know if they kept it at 269 because that sounds so much less than 270. But is, is he working himself out of that tight end position? Well, I'll tell you, man, I think... Um... And this is in, in a good way. Penn State didn't really know exactly what they were going to get with Mega Barnwell in terms of how he was going to respond to intensive physical training like this, how he was going to respond when he had um, diet, nutrition and, and under their supervision. And there was always a lot of talk about him outgrowing the tight end position. And at a certain point, I think I was guilty of assuming that he would. So when he arrives at 250 in January and here we are in early March and he's 269 pounds. And there was already discussion about him playing offensive line or defensive line. 269 is almost offensive tackle ready. So I don't know exactly where that's going to go, but that's exactly who I was referring to when that's something to watch. Like that weight number is significant because he's he was already a candidate to, to grow out a tight end. And I'm not sure if that's what's happening, but I would keep track of that number and with it, a potential position change that might not be as a freshman. It might, he might be ticketed to red shirt no matter what, as they work this stuff out. But that number is going to say a lot about where he's going to end up ultimately on the, on the Penn state offense or defense. All I'm going to say though, dusty about him growing in the position potential for position changes. I don't care how big he gets when they go into that three tight end package. I want him on the field as a tight end. And yeah. you line him up, he could be that additional lineman, the sixth lineman, or he has the ability to go out and catch a pass. I want to see that, Dusty. And the fact that he's 270 instead of 250, I want to see it even more. Yeah, okay. and, and that is, that's an awesome point about a potential sub-role. 
uh, in the Penn State offense. But you, which, when you've got when you've got a lot of talent and you've got depth at these positions, maybe you can afford to you know, experiment a bit with a guy who you can keep playing at tight end, who's going to be 280 pounds. And in that jumbo formation is if he can move a bit like a tight end, and he can block like an offensive lineman. That's a pretty interesting little chess piece for Mike Yurisich. It definitely is. I want to see it. All right. Let's talk about these running backs who, who both Nick Singleton um, and Katron Allen are up. It's interesting. Nick Singleton just seems to be, becoming more of a freak okay that that's what we have here katron allen though may be even more interesting because last year he reduced his weight yeah and that the reduction was surprising um but i think i I don't know I, i i feel like to maximize his quickness while while they had him uh was was good and now they can take their time a bit and uh and try to add proper weight on him uh, with Singleton, you know, he is a workout warrior and a workout freak, kind of like Saquon Barkley was. And there, he, he's kind of off to a similarly fast start in his football career. And I think his, his weight room exploits are only going to get bigger and better as they go on. And it's going to correlate to a guy who might become borderline untackleable. You know, and 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 I think he's headed in that direction. And I love the progression he made as a runner last year. Um, I think you started to see him a bit more, um, like passing game wise, a Katron Allen too. So I love that that Singleton is up in weight. I think it's going to be good for him. I still think that explosion is going to be there. Katron Allen, I think, is even a bigger deal if he stays at um, if he stays in elevated weight, because it's going to make a difference in terms of the tackles that he can break. Like he's not the guy who's really going to run around guys or outrun guys to the edge, but he just knows the position. Well, if he can wiggle through a few extra tackles, it's going to mean a lot more yardage for him over the course of a season. So if he improves his power a bit now, I think that's the next step in his progression. So I think these guys are, are definitely showing signs that they're going to be even better in year two. And that's a pretty dangerous proposition for the rest of the Big Ten is to have that one-two punch uh, really firing on all cylinders. I love that Tony Rojas, he's the guy that's gotten a lot of talk from the class of 23, linebacker undersized at 195 but he's already up to 214 dusty i think that's I mean, a good sign i i absolutely think that's a good sign and and you know when they talk about him and and praise him i think it, at this point is just as much for his attitude approach and competitiveness uh in these weight room situations i think that's going to translate big time to the football field like i think on the field his game speaks without question but if he's going to be that kind of like high character, high workout guy, first to arrive, last to leave, and he's going to make progress like this, I think you're going to see him in a role much sooner than later. And I think he's going to be a great player potentially. And he's somebody that I feel like of all the January enrollees, like he's somebody that people should be most excited about because his game on film. You know, his speed and quickness is an absolute difference maker. And that's what James Franklin talks about all the time is skill sets, whether that's length or speed or quickness or physicality, uh, calls it calling them erasers. I think Tony Rojas has erased type speed at the linebacker position. And if he can hold up or if they can find the right role for him where he's uh, at his best in his element, 
Um, and they're kind of pointing in that direction of, of how they use that uh, third linebacker role. I think he can be a really good player in year one, not like Abdul Carter uh, good, but I think somebody who can make a difference in year one uh, and him being at 214 pounds is a, a huge step in that direction. Speaking of Abdul Carter, up 16 pounds, Dusty. Did the guy do more of a freak? Yeah, I mean, 249, uh, I don't know where this is going. I really don't, but I, I, I don't really think that more weight is necessarily a bad thing for him. You know, the way that he closes on ball carriers, I think if he's bigger, stronger, more physical, that helps in some, in some areas. If he's doing that without compromising uh, on that on that quickness to close, um, whether that's on quarterbacks or, or receivers or whoever, then why not go for it? And what, what's going to be interesting about him is if he were to keep getting past that 250 range, okay, what's his future going to look like in an NFL uniform, for example? Um, I, I think he's got that size. I don't think he's going to get a lot bigger than that. Um, I don't really see him at this point in time as like a hand in the dirt defensive end at the next level, but who knows? I mean, he's a special athlete and a special player. I don't care what he weighs. Uh, it's exciting to have him back as a sophomore next year. And let's, let's take a look at this offensive line. And now I realize they're bigger guys. So it's all, it's kind of relative to their size and they're also guys who, after a season of playing, their weight could be down, and now's the time where it could bounce up pretty quickly. However, Dusty, with that said, with that said, Caden Wallace up 27. Yeah. Ioane up to 350. Yeah. Javen Williams up 23 pounds already. These numbers are crazy. It's it's clearly a focus on adding beef now, because when you got when you get these guys out and moving and and probably with their body types, they're going to respond the quickest to um, the nutrition and the protein and, and the weight uh, regimen that, th that they go through. I think it's very purposeful to get these guys big uh, with the knowledge that over the course of spring practice and over the course of summer practice, they are going to come back down a little bit. So I think all these guys who are in the 320 to 340 range, I do think you're going to see them start to drift back down towards that 300 pound range. Uh, Vega Iwane, I mean, 350 is a ton of offensive linemen. And I think he's going to play. I think he's going to carry that weight well, but I think you're going to see him come back down to something more reasonable, like, like three thirty, three thirty five. But in doing so and adding this weight now, I think they're reshaping his body as well. So I think you're going to see a lot of these numbers come down a bit, but that's, that's part of the plan, but that's the position that you see the most rise and, 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 and loss. So I would expect going forward, you're, you're going to lose some weight here, but 350 is really the number that jumps out. That is a big dude. And you know what? You use the expression, he weighs a ton. Well, technically, no, he doesn't. But if Six you put about five, about five <laughs> of these guys together, yeah. they do weigh a ton. Yeah. So, and that's uh, one blocking force, one ton of blocking force would uh, not be such a bad thing. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. All right, Dusty, that is it for quarter number two. Stick around, we got a lot more to go. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. He's Dustin Hawkinsmith. I'm Jim Galante. Dusty, we've got a fun little topic here to go with in quarter number three. You and I, we just put the 23 season behind us, and we've started looking at how Penn State will do in 24. Let's now look at the the entire college football picture, though. Now, we I don't want to project all of college football where they're going to be in 24, but let's project, take those early rankings, okay, for the 23 season, and let's pretend it's like, 24, where you have a 12-team playoff and try to figure out what kind of effect that has. Now, for this exercise, uh, Dustin, we took, I think it was the ESPN uh, strength rankings. The SP, the SP Plus ratings? Is that the one? Yes. That, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's what I use. The only thing I did was there has to be a group of five team in the 12-team playoff, and there was not one in that uh, top 25. So I went out to another ranking system, tried to find one that had a group of five team, and they had Tulane as that highest ranked among the group. And I think in that ranking, they were like 17th or 18th. But it created a real fascinating tournament board, didn't it? It, it did. And, and, um, you know, it's just kind of like it's nice to visualize what is coming down the road. Um, and I, I like the 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 same bracket that speaks to me is is two thousand looking at the end of last season, the final playoff rankings from last season because like those teams mean something to me because I've seen how good they are. Now these one like these ones, you know, I don't know how good some of these teams are going to be. 
I don't know how you're saying that Texas is going to be the fourth best team in the country. I hate to pick on Texas, but they're all, they always seem to be the fourth best team in the country in the preseason. Well, the thing to take – my biggest takeaway, I think, at looking at this board, and Dustin talked about Texas being, you know, fourth. Well, actually, the top four seeds I had were Georgia number one, Ohio State two, Oregon three, and Texas four. Well, that was not near close to this ESPN SP Plus ranking. But remember, for this 12-team playoff, those first four seeds have to be conference champions. And it's leading me to this point, Dusty. Georgia, Ohio State, obvious, okay, that they belong in that top four. And that would be no surprise. But Texas and Oregon would be coming from the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Yeah. Is that going to be the point of controversy when we get to this? And before someone else points this out to me, I'll point it out. By the time we hit 24, Texas will be in the Southeast Conference. And, you know, I think some people would probably put USC ahead of Oregon to win the Pac-12. Well, guess what? In 24, they're going to be in the Big 10. Well, and I think it it has a chance to be a real sticking point because, uh, like, look at the, the the bracket that you have put together based on that has Alabama, Michigan, you know, Tennessee, LSU. There's a lot of blue bloods, USC, a lot of blue bloods there, and the difference between being a top four team and not is a whole extra game, you know, and and. I hope someday we get to a place where that also means uh, home field, maybe in that quarterfinal round. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're going to have Alabama on the outside looking in, if they're the second best team in the country, but they didn't win the SEC, for example, uh, that's the type of team and and type of fan base and type of pull at the university that can start to maybe change the thinking on that. I think most years it's not going to be all that glaring. But in this scenario, I mean, it's very possible that Oregon is like the ninth or 10th best team and Texas is like number 13. And you had that this past year, uh, Kansas State winning the Big 12 in an upset, for example. Um, And I think most years it's going to be fine, but there are going to be some years where it's going to be pretty glaring if the Big 12 is down or the Pac-12 is down, if the Pac-12 continues to get rated by other conferences too, you know, that that kind of thing. Uh, But it... You know, like I, I get where they're coming from. Uh, it's just not often going to be the very four best teams that that get those spots. And those spots are going to be premium. I think it's actually going to be glaring almost every year, Dusty. And it's going to get worse with this conference shakeup. And we're going to hit on that more, though. But out of these this 12-team grouping that I had, there were four teams from the Southeast Conference and three from the Big Ten, a total of seven out of 12. That's not terribly disproportionate. But I'll point out that USC and Texas are two of the teams in there that aren't from those conferences, but will be. So if this were the 24 season, is that what we're going to be looking at? Nine of the 12 teams from those two conferences and the the couple other teams, those three other teams are going to be two teams that are in that top four because are given the number three and four seeding because they won their 
poor, weak ACC, Big 12 or Pac-12, Pac-10, Pac-8, whatever it'll end up being. And then the 12th team in will be, you know, a group of five team. I think it's going to be very glaring every year. And, and, and maybe it's going to be, you know, and I think the the haves and have nots, I mean, this could be in, in this scenario, nine out of 12 would come from those two leagues, but that's not even that ridiculous. You know, the, the way that those, te- those leagues are shaping up to be the depth of high quality teams, not just like good teams, high quality teams is going to be, is going to be glaring too. You know, you're and you're going to have these conversations about, let's say, a nine and three LSU team versus an eleven and one North Carolina team that got blown out by Clemson in the ACC championship game or something. Uh, th- those differences are going to be there, um, and I guess I, I guess no system is really going to ever squash those things out. But I think the the weakness of the ACC, if that doesn't change over the next few years, if they don't make additions, if they don't co- somehow get more competitive in that middle tier, you know, the Big Ten has a crappy lower tier. And they'll probably always have, have a crappy lower tier as long as, you know, Rutgers and Northwestern and, the, and these teams are around. Indiana, if these teams don't get better. But from you know, from one through like six or seven, they're going to be so strong that they're going to always have three or four, at least really good contenders for a 12 team playoff. And the sec is also going to have three or four contenders for a 12 team playoff, especially when we get to this day and age where you can afford to lose probably two times and still be in consideration. So I don't think, you know, seven, eight, nine teams from those two leagues is that ridiculous. You know, the way things are going, how can you make a case most of these years uh, recently that the Big 12 deserves more than one or the Pac-12 deserves more than one or the ACC ever deserves more than one? You really cannot. Um, And I don't think that's going to change when you go from four to 12 either, unless something changes with those leagues. So you're going to have, you know, we're not in this phase of mega conferences yet, but the Big Ten and the SEC, they might as well be mega conferences when these additions are made because I think they're going to dominate these 12 team fields. Is it just playing going to reach the point where, like the NCAA basketball tournament, there are those smaller conferences, they're only going to get one team in. They're going to get the winner of their conference in, and that is it. And I could even anticipate that the structure is such where there's four of those automatic bids to the top four conference winners, so that means only two out of the three conferences get an automatic bid. But essentially, if you look at those conferences outside of Clemson and Florida State, in the Pac-12, in the new Pac-12 or Pac-10, whatever it's going to be, beyond Oregon, Utah, Washington. Sometimes, I mean, the big- wh- yeah. I think you're always the, the second team in those leagues – is going to be fringy a lot of the time. Uh, Utah this past year was a team that was des- would have been deserving of a, of a spot in the 12-team field. Boosted in the end there by, by winning the conference championship. Yeah, I mean, I think that if, they're, if, they're, if the NCAA, if they still want to make conference championships important, then this makes sense. If you want the absolute 12 best teams, then picking making an automatic conference champ one of those um, making a group of five, one of those, 
you know, you're not going to get the 12 very best, but I think they're willing to concede that point to make sure that teams are still playing for, for their conference title. Okay. Looking at this and let's go through these games real quickly, Dusty, Georgia, Texas, Ohio state and Oregon would get the buys, uh, Texas and Oregon because they would win their conferences. Here's the opening round. Tennessee, LSU, Michigan, Tulane, Penn State, USC, and Alabama, Florida State. What do you think of a weekend in December with those uh, four games? This is really what, as I was going through, especially as I said, um, looking at last year, what games we would have gotten. You know, there's a whole nother layer uh, of games that are going to be great games. You know, Tennessee, LSU, and I wonder, like, looking at that cluster, like, Tennessee, LSU would be the eight and the nine, and the winner would play Georgia. That's an SEC-heavy pod right there. Is Are they going to be incentivized to kind of shake that up a bit? And if you're if this is 2024, you've got Ohio State at two waiting for Penn State or USC, that winner, that's a Big Ten-heavy pod. Are you going to try to shake that up a bit? Are you going to manipulate the rankings to try to get matchups that are not repeat matchups? That's really what I want to see. But you're going to have a a, a layer of four great games that are going to give way to another four great games. And I think uh, in the end, I mean, maybe we'll talk more about this later, but I feel like I, I know that the, the top heaviness of college football is still going to be there, but I think parody is more likely to happen if a team has to win three straight games instead of two straight games to, to win it all. If a team has to win four straight games to win it all. Well, the other part to these matchups um, you're right, and it's the way it worked out, there's a Southeast Conference pod, but do you think the winner of Tennessee LSU is going to be intimidated by Georgia? I don't think so. Right. Maybe that's not a bad thing. USC Penn State winner playing Ohio State. And what I also think is interesting is with Oregon and Texas or conference winners getting that by, there's no automatic win. In fact, those two teams more than likely would be underdogs if you yeah. have Texas, Michigan, and Oregon playing Alabama. Yeah. Who's the favorite? And Alabama, anyway, I, like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I got to make that the final note. I just saw our timer. We'll pick it up, though. I'll let you respond in quarter number four. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, 
local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to quarter number four of the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim. He's Dustin. Dustin, I got the final word in in quarter number three. I cut you off. The floor's yours. Uh, all I was going to say was that in this scenario, like Alabama versus Oregon, um, Oregon being the conference champion, the three seed, uh, Alabama will probably be, I don't know, 10 to 14 point favorite o- over Oregon in most years matchups, if anything, just because of who Alabama is, their reputation and the fact that history doesn't really bode well for finesse teams, uh, space needy teams to play against a team like Alabama that's going to you know, take away all space anyway. So I think uh, it'll, it'll create an interesting dynamic in that second round when you have, you know, the three and four seeds uh, not really be the third and fourth best teams. Okay. We're going to get right back to this, but I have an administrative point to bring up last week with Andy. We forgot to name our winner for the ask Andy segment. And I, it was pointed out to me. I just want to make it public that Dan from Bell Vernon, he won. The you Ask did it, Andy Dan. segment. Okay. You did it. So he, he deserves to be uh, his name read out. Here's the thing, Dusty, in pointing that out, is that a bad thing, though, for college football? If an Alabama who you think of as being uh, going to be a solid favorite over in Oregon, say, is that the worst case in the world that you had Alabama have to go through another game to get to that next level? It does mean that that top four seeds, they're not necessarily going to be the heavy favorites. So there's going to be some mixing up, even though I do think there'll be a lot of controversy with it when those rankings, those seedings come out. However, let's talk about this overall. I don't think that's a bad thing for the game, and I think it'll create more interesting games as it goes round to round. And I, I, I find it fascinating and it could end up being hilarious if you have, let's say, season ending, Georgia's 12-0, and Alabama's 12-0. and They meet uh, in an SEC championship game and one of them loses. They're 12-1. and They are by far the second best team in America and they have to play, they have to win a, an extra game and they have to go through uh, somebody else, you know? And I think the outrage that's going to come from that each and every time that that happens and the, each and every time that, you know, that uh, the number five seed Georgia is, is maybe the best team in the country and having to go through Texas in, in this case or something. Uh, I think the outrage over that is going to be hilarious. Um, you know, and, and it, it does accomplish the goal of, you know, if you're looking at, and, and I've never really uh, fallen in line with his argument that you don't expand a playoff because you want to make sure that the regular season still matters because that's what makes college football unique. Well, this is one way to do it. I mean, one loss, you know, whether you're talking about the difference between 11 and one and 10 and two, or the difference between 12 and 0 and 11 and one, 
um, one loss can really make the difference whether you're one of those top four or whether you have to win four games instead of three to win a national title. You know, there are clear advantages in this setup to not to winning every game on your schedule. Every game is still going to matter just as much. So I don't think that that argument, you know, it never really held water with me, but I don't think it holds uh, in this situation either, because you still do need to play each and every week. Like it's your last week, no matter what. And Dustin, I've always even looked at it the opposite way where, I don't think it waters down the regular season. I think it makes the regular season even better because think about it. When you have four playoff teams, how many games are there that those last couple weeks that even matter? Very few. Now, if you're talking about 12 playoff openings, plus, as you said, Alabama and Georgia, if they're playing in a Southeast Conference game and they're definitely two of the top three, four, five teams in the country, I sure as heck want that number one seed not coming in number five or six or seven and having to play the extra week. So I think it makes the regular season even more intriguing. But the other question, which is thrown out there a lot, let's face it, the reality is this is about money, okay? And we, the fans, are the beneficiaries because we're the ones who are putting money out there. Why? Because these are interesting games that we want to see, okay? So it does play to the fans, but what about this narrative, this will help create more parity because more teams are making the playoffs? What are your thoughts on that? I think it it, it does present more opportunities for parity. Uh, in some years, you are going to see like this past year where Georgia was maybe the clear, clearly the best team, even though Ohio State almost beat them. Um, you are going to see a team dominate their way through sometimes, but you're you're gonna you're gonna be more likely to see an upset along the way, and that might be you know the eleven beating the six or something, or the eleven beating the six and the three. Uh, you could definitely see that. Um, and I think when you open it up to a little bit higher percentage of upsets, you open it up to a little bit higher percentage of teams getting of, of programs getting transcendent type wins, wins that elevate on a more permanent basis. Uh, the way that Clemson elevated on a more permanent basis, the way that Penn State, you know, has a chance to elevate on a more permanent basis. Um, and I and I think that is what creates more parity down the line. Like I think when this, when this thing gets rolled out, I don't think you're going to have a ton of parity right off the bat, but the, the second a team goes on a run, like if a group of five team wins two games and they reach the semifinals, that is a big momentous thing for them, even though they're not really a threat to win the whole thing. So it gives you a chance on a national stage games that are do or die if you're a team that can spring a big upset, even if you don't win a national title, it can change your program, I think. And just making that feel like if you're if you get in and you're the, the 12 seed and you, you get beat by two touchdowns, I don't think the fact that you are present in the playoff changes anything automatically. Like, I don't think that makes a difference to recruits, but. You know, that gives you if you if you have that opportunity and you hit a home run on that stage, then suddenly I do feel like you elevate a bit on a national level. When you elevate on a national level, you elevate in more recruits minds. So it does plant those seeds um, for better. I don't think it's going to be immediately, but I think it's going to give some some programs, some opportunities that they just didn't have before. So I think eight teams, eight more teams getting in has a chance to make a difference. 
I think it does too, Dusty. And let me throw this uh, theory out to you. I think we are already seeing the beginning stages of a shift in power at the very top. Let's face it. The top teams have been Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Okay? Well, it looks like Georgia has overtaken Alabama. Yep. By their records, Michigan has overtaken Ohio State. And if we go into that Southeast Conference, not only did Alabama not make the playoffs this year, but you have teams like LSU and Tennessee taking that step where they think they're part of the conversation. And oh, by the way, probably the next team looking in over those couple years with Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson was Oklahoma. Where were they? And you have a couple other teams like Penn State and USC seem to be knocking at that door. So I think we're beginning. No, we're not seeing Northwestern make the playoffs anytime soon. But I do think there are more teams now capable of winning a playoff game. Those are great examples, too, of how the the difference like three to five years can make in terms of how you view it. Now, as you're as you're listing, you've just had some teams replace uh, the the known powers and you're still having a concentration of three or four teams that are still getting talent at a level that nobody else can really match. But when you have a, a tier of like LSU and Tennessee and USC and Penn State who are knocking on the door, as you said, uh, if they catch lightning in a bottle one season, if they get the quarterback that that can take them to the next level, now suddenly they have a shot to get into that three or four teams and start recruiting uh, more like those three or four teams. And when you can start recruiting like those three or four teams, then you can build something that lasts longer, not just catch lightning in a bottle once every six years, but now you're recruiting and signing high four-star and five-star talent everywhere. And now you can change your program and elevate it, as I said before, in a more permanent permanent basis. Like you have teams that are, that are close. And I think, you know, being able to win a thriller in the college football playoff, even if it's in the first round, even if it's in the quarterfinals, being able to have like a a monster type win, it has a chance to kind of get a team into the next tier in, in recruiting. And that, I mean, that possibility I think is really exciting for me. And I think it's going to benefit teams like just like USC and Penn state who have really just knocked on the door without being able to break through it, but have always been in that top 12 conversation. Now it's just, it's just an extra layer of opportunity to get into that next tier of recruiting too, which is the difference between whether you're one of those three or four elites or whether you're not. And one more part to that equation, Dusty, is we saw something last year that we, I don't think we've ever seen before, which is an elite coach going from one elite program to another. You had Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma for USC. You had Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU. Neither one of those coaches would make that move if they didn't think that team had a chance to take that next step. Or if their dollars don't hurt, you know, but, (laughs) but I, but I do think, you know, how and where you align yourself, uh, it, it directly leads to what your opportunities are. And it's like, where does Notre Dame fit in the opportunity scale as you go forward? Maybe that was part of Brian Kelly leaving for LSU. Maybe, you know, that, that helped him pick up that Southern accent on the drive down from South Bend to Baton Rouge. You know, maybe, maybe that helps, but 
But yeah, I think you, you're going to see more stuff like that. And I think you're going to see more changes in college football that hopefully de-incentivize coaches to change at the 11th hour and leave their programs high and dry. But that's probably a different story for a different day. You do have you know, potential game changers that, as you are pointing out, can really change the power structure. Now Oklahoma's, where where are they exactly? You know, Alabama faces questions now. Ohio State faces questions now. There's a little bit of doubt planted in these, in, in these programs. And I think that's great for the overall parity and health of college football. And with that, I think this 12-team tournament now comes at a great time when you do have those teams like we mentioned them, LSU, Tennessee, USC, and Penn State's part of that equation now, Dusty. And it, it's great when you have these big traditional powers uh, with blue blood, with high ratings that are high value, being the teams that are knocking on the door. But there will always be one consistent element to this every year, which is Texas will be overrated. That is- <laughs> Boom. <laughs> And that is it for our show. That's the final note, Dusty. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.